I couldn't help but think as we sing a certain line, the waves and wind know his name. Some of you like rode boats here because it's um, more rain I've seen in three days in my life, I think. Um, but if you've been praying for rain, you can stop now. It'd be great for the rest of us, right? Um, anyone else's grass really tall right now? No. Um, but have you ever had a family that had a weird rule? I mean, like those weird kind of rules that you're just like, I don't know if that's normal or if it's just our family. Um, I was trying to think back on my own family about some weird rules we had. And, and the best I could come up with was like, you could yell shotgun and get the front seat. Maybe you never did that in your family. Um, at our house right now, the first one to take a bite has to pray. So like Gracie is like waiting for someone to do it because she's not about to do it. Um, you can't leave the table until you eat your vegetables or you drink your milk, right? Like that's a pretty common one for some. Um, One we've had to give our kids, no dessert before lunch, right? You can't start the day with dessert. You have to at least eat something else first. Um, You know, we we have like, don't say shut up or stupid, those kind of things. But but I, I was trying to think of some really good ones, like some really weird ones that families might have. And so I posted online just a question, hey, what are some weird family rules you have? There were some really good ones out there. Um, some were kind of long, so I, don't, I didn't share all those, but I'm just going to share with you some of those lists from this week. This first one's funny. Pants have to be one size larger than your actual size. Didn't ask questions. Someone else did, but they didn't respond, so I don't know. Uh, I can't watch X-Men because they are mutants, but Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles were okay. This one's good. You can only wear your bikini out of town where no one knows you. No short sleeves until it's 60 degrees, and no shorts until it's 70 degrees, okay? Um, No holding hands with boys or you will get pregnant. (laughs) Don't think that's how that works, but... No boys in the backyard. I don't don't get that one. You know, no boys in the backyard. Um, Don't tell anyone we bought a timeshare. And, and he went on to tell us, by the way, that he told his neighbors like that day. And by the end of the day, his parents already knew he had told people. So um, this one's good. Had to wear a dress or skirt to school on Wednesday. I don't know about Monday, Tuesday, or Thursday, Friday, but Wednesday was dress or skirt, skirt day. Um, I'm sure some of these rules started with good intentions. I, most of the time, rules start with good intentions. And only later when we look back, we're like, oh, that one probably wasn't a good one, right? We've all had rules where you're going, mm, that might have been over the top. Or maybe we go, maybe we should have had some rules. Uh, some people said, we had no rules in our family. I'm going, oh, I don't want no rules. That seems like a bad idea too, right? But if I'm honest with you, as I laugh about these rules, sometimes I, I kind of don't know what to do with them, just like I don't know what to do with the rules I find in the Old Testament. Have you noticed that? Like sometimes you read sections of it and you're like, huh. What do I do with that? I mean, I don't know how to too much with that. In fact, one of the things is we don't have to do a lot with them. In fact, that's what we find in Matthew chapter 5, verse 17. Jesus basically says, I have fulfilled the law and the prophets. In other words, I fulfilled it. It's over. And then he gives a new command, which we talked about last week, and I'll mention just again today. It's from Matthew chapter 22. He says this, as he's asked this question, Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. 
all the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. If that's true, do we need the laws of the Old Testament? Short answer, no. However, what we might find is Jesus followed those laws. He fulfilled those laws. So it might not be a bad idea for us to have some understanding of those laws. And so I was thinking about this week as we were looking kind of this series as we're walking through the Old Testament. And, and we're looking at two random books today, Leviticus and Deuteronomy. And not the whole things because I don't want you to fall asleep. But, but what I find is these are two interesting books as they kind of compare and contrast one another in so many ways. But what we find is this. Um, I love these words of Augustine as we think about kind of the New and Old Testament. Here's what Augustine said. The new is in the old concealed. The old is in the new revealed. So we read the Old Testament, we see glimpses of what the New Testament says, and when we read the New Testament, we see how the, it's the fulfillment of what was already come before. And so maybe you know this, the first five books of the Bible are considered the Torah, right? That, that's what they're called, the Torah. And often people will say, well, the Torah means law, but it really doesn't. It kind of means instruction or guidance. And so Torah, translated, just means instruction or guidance. So the first five books were considered the instruction or the guidance of the people of God. And so we're looking at kind of two books, which make up about 40% of that section, Leviticus and Deuteronomy. And maybe you're like me, you look at this and you go, well, um, I've read Leviticus probably a dozen times, and every single time I have the same thoughts. This is so weird. I don't know what to do with this. I mean, have you read it? If not, go read it sometime, because here's the stuff you're going to find in it. Um, here's what it looks like to be clean, and when you need to bathe, and when you can't bathe, and here's what you have to do with human discharges, and when you're not clean, and all this kind of stuff, and then it tells you what you can and can't eat. Now, I don't know if you know this, but if we were good Jews, um, shrimp's out. Pork? No. And you're like, well, pork, you know, that means no bacon. It's a terrible way to live. Your heart doctor may like you, but it's a horrible way to live, right? And so we see these kind of weird rules. Um, but what if, what if the heart of Leviticus is actually pretty simple? Here's the heart of the entire book of Leviticus. God is holy, and we are called to be holy. That's it. I mean, I know there's a lot of weird stuff in it, and I don't know what to do with it all, but the entire book of Leviticus is about the idea of the holiness of God. In fact, I would say it this way. Leviticus is about a people embracing the uniqueness of being God's people. Leviticus is all about embracing the uniqueness of being God's unique people in the world. That's the whole book. And then Deuteronomy is a little bit different. Deuteronomy kind of takes... Some of what Leviticus does and says, yeah, here's like the really rigid rules, but here's how we understand that in life. In fact, I'd say it this way. It looks at their past, Israel's past, their present circumstances, and their future. And at the same time, what we begin to find is Deuteronomy would be understood in this way. It's about the heart of God and the heart of his people. These two books, the heart of God and the heart of his people. So God wants a holy people, and he wants us to know his heart and to know our heart. Or like um, one scholar, Dennis Bratcher, he kind of summarized it this way about De Deuteronomy. He says this, Deuteronomy is not a book of laws. It is a book of the heart. 
instruction in how to live intentionally as God's people in response to his love and mercy. So Deuteronomy seems to recap the laws that matter most in relationship to God and one another. So what do we do with these things? These two books that kind of are contrasted a little bit, but they call people to a particular way of life. And we've already agreed, right, that Jesus is pretty clear. I've kind of fulfilled all this stuff, but what do we do with it? How do we understand it? And what do we get to do with these things? In fact, one of the things we know about laws is um, Jesus makes it clear that there's a law of love, but, but in that, there's lots of things that we don't do. But it's not that he calls us to a way of life following a bunch of rules, because if you follow rules, that ends up being a bad place. But there are things out of love that we choose to not be engaged in. And so let's look at these, a few passages from the book of Leviticus. Here's what we find from chapter 11. I am the Lord your God. Consecrate yourselves and be holy because I am holy. Do not make yourselves unclean by any creature that moves along the ground. I am the Lord who brought you up out of Egypt to be your God. Therefore, be holy because I am holy. Now, the writer of Leviticus uses a word there to consecrate oneself, to be set apart for. Now, maybe you've been paying attention to these last few weeks as we continue to walk through the Old Testament, but there was this phrase in Genesis, right, when Abraham's called, it says you will be a blessing to the world, you will be a unique people, you are to be consecrated to be a blessing to the world. So your separation is not for isolation, your separation is to go back in and transform the world in which you live. Then from Leviticus 19, the Lord said to Moses, Speak to the entire assembly of Israel and say to them, be holy, because I, the Lord, your God, am holy. Be holy as God is holy. I wish it was written differently, like, do your best to be holy like I am, um, you know, try hard. Um, but that's not what I find in this text. Going into Leviticus 20. You are to be holy because I, the Lord, am holy. And I have set you apart from the nations to be my own. We are set aside not for ourselves, but for the sake of the community as a whole. Whether that be just the community of believers or it be just the community in which we live. Now, I gotta be honest, if Leviticus is the center of our understanding about the, the rules that God calls us to live by, um, there are a bunch of weird ones, like the family ones we mentioned earlier, like wear your pants one size too big. That's a weird one. I, I have lots of one questions as to why, but anyway, um, you know, whatever the rules may be, some were pretty good. Like the one I thought, I'm gonna steal this one, was um, the parents had a rule that they couldn't ride with a friend who newly licensed for at least a year as, until they had been a year without an accident or speeding ticket. So they said, needless to say, we didn't get a ride with very many of our friends. Great rule. Um, we sometimes don't know what to, to do with rules, and we're not sure about their value. And so there was a scholar, William Greathouse, who was a general superintendent in our, our tradition. And so he wrote this in a book um, called Wholeness in Christ. And I love this kind of phrase as he talks about understanding holiness in Leviticus. Here's what he wrote. To be holy, Israel must imitate God. 
Imitate the kind of love God showed them when they were strangers in Egypt. Speak to all the congregations of the people in Israel and say to them, You shall be holy, for I am holy. When an alien resides with you in your land, you shall not oppress the alien. The alien who resides with you shall be to you as the citizen among you. For you were aliens in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. And I love this line. Examine closely the holiness command becomes the love command as Jesus taught from Matthew chapter 5. Now here's where some pictures from Deuteronomy are helpful. We go, we see all the rules in Leviticus, but Deuteronomy talks about the heart, right? What's our heart like? And here's what we see in Deuteronomy chapter 10. Circumcise your hearts, therefore, and do not be stiff-necked any longer. For the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great God, mighty and awesome, who shows no partiality and accepts no bribes. He defends the cause of the fatherless and the widow and loves the foreigner residing among you, giving them food and clothing. And you are to love those who are foreigners, for you yourselves were foreigners in Egypt. Fear the Lord your God and serve him. This first line's weird, right? Circumcise your heart. Circumcision is a weird thing in the Bible, and it's in there a lot, right? It's one of those things that we don't really want to talk about because it's just uncomfortable and awkward. But what if you were to understand circumcision in this way? It's the idea about a physical act of saying that we are yours. It's about becoming holy. It's about hygiene at one level, but also in a world that was sexually promiscuous about saying there's something uniquely set apart about the people of God. And he says, so be a people that are uniquely set apart. Circumcise your hearts. Let your heart be radically transformed and changed. Let there be some, something that's done to it because you cannot do it yourself. So let me circumcise your heart and change you and then treat other people the way you wish you had been treated when you were in Egypt. I know. Like, yeah, but what about, um, I don't think he really means it. I'm just being practical here, right? Or it'll just always be that way. Or God doesn't really mean that. How often have we said those kind of words when we read the words of Jesus? I don't know about that. He doesn't really mean that. That's not what he's trying to say. Maybe our heart does need to be circumcised. Going on, Deuteronomy chapter 30. The Lord your God will circumcise your hearts and the hearts of your descendants so that you may love him with all your heart and with all your soul and live. He will circumcise your heart. Why? So that you can be the very people of God and you can know Have you ever noticed how when you want to change your heart, you can't do it? I mean, let's be honest. How many of us have felt something that we know we shouldn't have felt? We feel it. We know we feel it, but we know we shouldn't feel it. If you're going, oh, I've never had that. You're a liar. Um, right? Like we, we go, someone wants something good happens. We go, oh, I should be excited for them, but I'm kind of just bummed or whatever it might be. But here's what, what we can understand from this text. And it comes to the circumcision of the heart. 
sin lodged in hearts cannot be removed by law. Only love can do that. See, Leviticus gives us all these great laws to follow, but have you noticed that laws don't change our hearts ever? But there's something about the unique love of God that can change our hearts. And what do we do then if we have this heart change? How then are we called to live? What does it look like to live with, to be the unique people of God with unique hearts in the world in which we live? Who are not shaped by the world in which we live, but shaped by the very person of Jesus. And so even though Jesus isn't in the Old Testament, he hadn't come yet, even though that's true, what we find is there is this interesting passage from Deuteronomy chapter 6 that calls us to a unique way of living that I think might be good for us to embrace even today. And here are these words being in verse 4. Hear, O Israel. The Lord, our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. This is a response to the love of God. It's after he's given them, remind them of the Ten Commandments, right? The first four about relationship to God. The last six are about relationship to others. In other words, live so uniquely in knowing God that you might might be just permeating that off to other people. In fact, your kids should be so known because they know you and you know God. So I was thinking about that this week, right? Um, Are we living in such a way, actually, I wrote this, I'll say it this way. Are we seeking to live as a holy people of love? And are we Seeking to shape our kids in that way? In other words, are our kids going to be more shaped by the scriptures that we're talking with them about? Or the ways in which we call them to live? Or the love we're asking them to live out? Or the love we are modeling as we live it out? Or what do they hear us talk most about? The weather, the economy, politics, news, sports... What is it? Did you catch this, this line? It's called the great Shema. Love the Lord, you got to play heart, mind, soul, and strength, right? Like, love your God with everything that you are. Tell it to your kids. Write it on stuff. Make it so evident that it is first and foremost over everything else in your life. Be holy as I am holy. Is that what's first in our life? Is that really our goal at the end of the day that we would, as the writer said here, talk about it when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up? Is it first and foremost in your mind? If not, whatever jumps there first is called an idol. Nothing less. Now, maybe you're like me too. um, And this challenges you. And you're going, man, I want that to be so true for my life. I want it to be that I live in such a way that my kids know that this is the most important thing. 
that my grandkids, that you all know that in my life nothing is more important. Do we live that way? Because that was the whole point of the book of Leviticus. Be holy as your God is holy. Now, we can turn it into a bunch of rules. That happened all the time. Right, that's what Jesus walked into. But I have to ask this question. I, I met with someone recently, and they were just complaining about that. I want to talk about rules in the church, basically. And I didn't ask the question. I should have asked this question. I wish I had. I would have said, who are you discipling? And who's discipling you? All right, that, that's, that's a better question. Jesus' commandments are actually pretty clear. What's he say at the end of Matthew chapter 28? Go and make disciples. Not go tell them all the rules that you can come up with. Don't make a list of every sin there is and tell them all those. That's not what he says. He says, go and make disciples. How do we do that? Well, not by a list of rules. Last I checked, none of us have decided to follow Jesus because someone gave me the book of Leviticus. Gosh, because if that's all it was, I probably don't know that I would be a Christian because I would have to be Jewish then. And I would probably be out on that. I like pork. But what if, what if you and I begin to recognize we are incapable of being who God calls us to be apart from him? What if we begin to recognize the reason Jesus came is because the rules were not sufficient and we could not follow them. We, you and I, we can't do it. We are not good enough, period. We couldn't do it apart from the work of Jesus. And so I love the writer of Hebrews tries to kind of tie these things in together for us in ways that I think are helpful. And here's what the writer of Hebrews says. But in fact, the ministry Jesus has received is as superior to theirs as the covenant of which he is mediator is superior to the old one. Since the new covenant is established on better promises. For if there had been nothing wrong with that first covenant, no place would have been sought for another. But God found fault with the people and said, The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and the people of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt because they did not remain faithful to my covenant. And I turned away from them, declares the Lord. This is the covenant I will establish with the people of Israel. After that time, declares the Lord. I will put my laws in their minds and write them on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will they teach their neighbor or say to one another, know the Lord, because they will all know me from the least of them to the greatest. For I will forgive their wickedness and remember their sins no more. By calling this covenant new, he has made the first one obsolete. What is obsolete and outdated will soon disappear. You may not have been excited by that passage, but you really should have been. See, in the ancient world, in every religion, Judaism included, it required sacrifice to be in right relationship with whoever the deity was. And so these sacrifices offered up, we can read all throughout the Bible or even ancient religions and find that to be true almost over and over again. But here's what 
what the prophet Jeremiah is letting us know through this text and in the next one, there will be a day when God will make all things right in a unique way, in a way he has never done before. And in that day, there will be a new covenant that exists and no longer will your sacrifices be necessary. And so the writer of Hebrews goes on to say this, for by one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. The Holy Spirit also testifies to us about this. First, he says, this is the covenant I will make with them. After that time, says the Lord, I will put my laws in their hearts and I will write them on their minds. Their sins and lawless acts I will remember no more. And where these have been forgiven, sacrifice for sin is no longer necessary. God wants to change our hearts and our minds to be holy as he is holy. See, a call to holiness has always been about right posture toward God and others. Always, even in Leviticus. Our temptation is to make it about the rules or the laws. When it's always been about posture and heart. So as we continue to walk through the Old Testament, you'll see this kind of theme narrate itself all throughout. This theme is this. Um, God frees the people. They're faithful. They become unfaithful. They go off and they, they, get the, they reap what they sow. They cry out to God. God redeems them. We see this painful commentary of the nation of Israel again and again and again all throughout the Old Testament. What it teaches us, as we find throughout there, is our heart wanders. It wanders. And maybe you're like me. Maybe you found yourself. Here's the question. Have you ever found yourself feeling woefully inadequate? I mean, have you ever felt like you're just not good enough? Be honest. Have you felt like you're not good enough, that you just don't love well enough, that you're not holy enough, that you haven't done the right thing enough, that other people are better than you, that you just haven't been, or maybe your heart's not right because you think I'm awesome and I'm better than everyone. Either one of those places are not good. But what we find from this text, taking the old and new together, is that Jesus says, listen, there's a new covenant I have given. A new way of living, a new way of loving, a new way that is defined by my holiness. So that you really can have your heart circumcised. So that you really can live as this unique people. So that you really can live as someone who knows who God is. Who really can become a holy people. That really can embrace these words, be holy as I, the Lord your God, am holy. This kind of love frees people from slavery in Egypt and it frees us from slavery to the sin in our own lives. Jesus continues to invite you and I to a holy life. And we're not good enough. I can tell you from personal experience, no matter how hard I try to be holy, I come up woefully inadequate. But what if, what if you and I what if we trusted that somehow through the death and resurrection of Jesus, 
through his sacrifice for you and I, the fullness of God's love, what if somehow you and I would say, okay, God, I know I can't do this on my own. No matter how much I try, I am insufficiently able. I can't do it. So I'm going to quit trying to do it on my own. I'm going to let you do a work in me. Will you circumcise my heart? Will you make me holy as you are holy? Will you make me your unique people in this world so I can be freed from sin, taken out of slavery from Egypt, and live a new life as unique people of God? You see, um, the law is impossible to be enough to sanctify our hearts. But the law does call us to a holy life. So what about you today? We don't have to go by a bunch of weird rules that we find. Right? Um, I, don't, I don't want to go back to a bunch of weird rules, because honestly, I don't think I could follow half the rules in the Old Testament. No one could. That's why they don't exist anymore. That's why we don't have to use them. That's why Jesus says, I have fulfilled them. Because you couldn't do it. But I could. And so maybe if you're like me, and you're like, God, I... I want my heart to be made right, right? I know there's lots of stuff in the world we go, well, yeah, but that's just the way of the world. That's just how things work. But I know you call us to be part of a unique community of faith, a unique kingdom in the world that doesn't make sense with all the other kingdoms of the world. I know it's not even practical, but I don't care. I want to trust that your love is sufficient for my life and for my heart, and I want my life to be changed in that way. And so I say it this way. This is what I hope we take away today. One, I, I hope you hear. If you're not sure if God has all your heart, and all your mind, and all your soul, then know when you leave here today. Know that you've committed to say, God, I want to be holy as you are holy. Whatever that takes, whatever I need to lay down, I lay it down. Because I, I think this is important for us today. It is not the law or love. It is not the law and love. It is the law of love. We pray with me this morning. Father, we thank you for this opportunity to gather together today. Thank you as the praise team comes to lead us in a song together as we think about the way you love us and the way you call us to be your unique people in the world. So we open our eyes and our ears. Will you change our hearts? Will you help us to become the unique people of God you have called us to be? And I just think about this challenge about whether we are modeling for our kids and our friends and our neighbors and our coworkers that the most important thing in our life is knowing you and helping others to come to know you as well. And so, Father, whatever you need to do in our hearts today for that to be true, will you do that work? May we lay down whatever it is that keeps us from that. I pray all of this in your son Jesus' name. Amen. Will you stand with us this morning as we sing?